Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio Podcast, where we are releasing daily episodes Monday through Friday. Conversations with people that are in love with this job. We talk about the highs and the lows and everything in between, but if you're here listening and part of the National Fire Radio community and you're checking out this podcast, whether it's your first episode or you're all the way in on a hundred and something episodes by now and you're bought into it, we appreciate you. We appreciate you being part of the community and constantly coming back and listening to the podcast. Welcome. Enjoy the word. And for us to be able to do this and deliver this to you every day, we need the help of some sponsors. And these sponsors are partners where we do collaboration work and they allow us to put forth great content with great guests so that we can keep pushing this job forward. So before we hop into the episode, a quick word from some of our sponsors. Our first sponsor of the podcast, Taylor's Tins. Taylor and her crew have been manufacturing helmet fronts, aluminum helmet fronts, since 2017, over 200,000 plus shields have been manufactured by Taylor and his crew. Custom helmet fronts shipped within 24 to 48 hours. Whether it's one piece to a 500 piece department order, they'll get them out under two days. They're doing incredible work, 100% customizable product. Their product is top shelf. Not only are they doing aluminum helmet fronts, they're doing gas cards, playing cards, keychains, medical cards, and charts. Pump charts, street signs, custom signs, banquet awards, you name it, they're doing it. Go to taylorstins.com. And if you do order, use this promo code, NFR sent me, all one word, NFR sent me, and you'll get 15% off at checkout. That's because we have a strong relationship and friendship with Taylor from Taylor's Tins. They've been a longtime supporter of the National Fire Radio platform, and I appreciate their support and friendship. Without further ado, the daily episode hey everybody jeremy national fire radio back on the podcast today today's gonna be a fun one a guy that i met years ago doing a joint project with affordable drill towers i think we first met in texas and from there the friendship has budded no i haven't seen this guy in quite a while rich i haven't seen you in a while man we need to uh we need to get together again and soon that is a fact yes we do so listen rich stack out of chicago illinois Started in the fire service in 1995 as a volunteer. He's got 28 years in the fire service, 22 years with the city of Chicago, currently serving as a lieutenant, a covering boss throughout the city. Uh, you do training for IFSI, which is the Illinois Fire Service Institute, on-scene training, affordable drill towers. You teach and present hands-on and lecture at FDIC. You are passionate about the fire service. I know you love the fools and the brotherhood and everything that comes with the job. And I think that is why, <clears throat> excuse me, that is why I have fallen for you, Rich Stack. You are a gentleman and a brother, and and I truly appreciate you as a friend. And I'm so happy to finally get you on this show. Well, I'm ecstatic to be here. I appreciate your kind words. Uh, <laughs> not sure they're not sure they're warranted, but no, uh, they are. They are. Um, are you kidding me? Nah, we'll have fun. We'll we'll tell some stories and truths, and we'll be frank and honest. And if people don't like it, oh well. Well, that's what this is about, man. Like I, the one thing that I am, I really enjoy my time with you because you make it fun. Like you, you're very serious. Like when it comes down to work time, I've seen your work ethic on the training ground. I've seen you. I've seen you push students. I've seen you push your own staff. I've seen you push guys that are joining you to teach and all these different things. You are super passionate. And when it's time to do work, you do work. I've seen you do it. And then when it's time to let your hair down a little bit, you also do that very well. 
Yeah, um, that's a very true statement. Uh, uh, my wife would agree with you. Yes. Very much so. Yes. I told her life would never be boring, and so, and it, so, so far it hasn't. She doesn't always love me. She doesn't, she doesn't always like me, but she always loves me, so I got that going. Well, you know, listen, strong marriages create strong people. You're a strong man. <laughs> And, uh, and I think she recognizes that. And I know you guys have an incredible marriage. You talk about it all the time. You're very honest with all of us in the, in the friend group and so on. So it's a lot of fun, man. And um, I just think you have a lot to talk about. I think that your passion runs super deep for the camaraderie and the brotherhood aspect, as well as, you know, the fire ground. And, um, and I think it that, does. Yeah, go ahead. It, it does because I have been very blessed by a couple specific things that truly influenced my life. My life. Um, one is, let me start off by saying today's my daughter, Carly's 21st birthday. Awesome. So happy happy birthday, birthday, Carly. Absolutely. Yeah. Her, her sister's up at uh, Marquette. She's going to be 20 in May, but Carly's up at Michigan state. It's her 21st birthday. Awesome. We called her last night at midnight and I have to thank her. And then the other is my father. Um, my father is my biggest mentor and role model and hero in life. Now I say that with a caveat. He's not my fire service here. My father is a, was a volunteer fireman in Glen Allen for almost 30 years. Yeah. And I wouldn't be a fireman, and I'll tell that story when it, here real shortly, if I didn't volunteer at my father. But mm. he did something very cool to me when I came on the volunteer fire department. I wanted to learn to be a fireman. I was an airline mechanic. I worked for American Airlines for 13 years. Got a job out of high school fueling planes. The girl I dated back then, her dad was a crew chief, and he was a, he was a mentor to me as well. And got me going to mechanics when I had a great job. And I started volunteering with my dad. And it changed my career and my life pretty much where I thought my life path was going to be and going. No kidding. So, yeah. So with that, there's been a lot of other mentors throughout the fire service. And if I get a chance to mention them, I will. And if I forget some, I'll apologize. Yeah. Well, but, let me let me ask you this. Were you a good mechanic? Well, as far as I know, not going on the planes I ever worked on crash. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Well, I think it's important, right? Because, like, when you think about time frame, you know, the, like, blue collar, turn of the wrench is important, man. And I, it probably brought a lot to the table when you stepped into the volunteer firehouse, right? Like, guys with mechanic that are mechanically inclined and it typically brings common sense. Firefighting involves common sense, right? So it all makes it all, it all clicks together now. It does. I mean, Wow, we haven't gotten any of the topics we're going to talk about yet. But we will. We'll I get do there. Believe that mechanical or that mechanical aptitude or background is something the fire service has always had. I think it's something we're losing with the newer generation. And people talk about the new generation, and you know they're in social media, and they don't like to be yelled at. You can't razz them, and whatever. And I'll try not to swear. And if I do, I'll apologize now. Um, I'll definitely try not to. But I call BS on that because. I think they're good kids. You have to train them differently yeah. than how you, you were trained. Yeah. But I was lucky enough to grow up with, a, with the older generation training me, and it worked for me. I loved it, and I respected it. And at the airline, I was 18 years old. I was a punk kid working there, and everyone there was a man, yeah. men with families. And I was a wild, crazy, fun kid, had fun, but they taught me that worth ethic that my father instilled in me Love it. long ago. So. Well, go down that route, man. So from the from the from the mechanic to the volunteer fireman. All right. So the volunteer fire. I'll start start out with a story first. So I we moved from Chicago. I grew up in Chicago my whole life in a little neighborhood called Canaryville. 
right next to Bridgeport, which is where the Mayor Daly's were from. So it was a real small neighborhood, a mile by a half mile. Um, small, tight-knit, kind of a rough neighborhood. And um, my mother passed when I was fairly young. I was nine, my brother was three, and my dad ended up remarrying my stepmother, great lady. And she was from the north side. And well, the south side's different than the north side. That's all I'll say. And she's like, we got to move out of here. So they, and they wanted to have more kids and, you know, just different life. And I think a fresh start. So we ended up moving to the suburbs. My dad moves out there. My mom, you know, my whole family start, we have another brother and two more sisters. So things are good. But when we first move out there, my dad's driving through downtown Glen Allen. He hears this air siren going off, this air horn or air radio. He didn't know what the hell it was. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all these cars come flying every direction with these little blue lights flashing. Sure. My dad's like, what the hell? They're like, get out of the way. What the hell are you doing? My dad's like, I thought we moved out of the city in the summer. It's supposed to be nice. What the hell is this crap about? Well, he founds out they have a volunteer fire department. And that's what it was. Nice. You had pagers, yep. you had a siren, and you had lights in your car. Oh, yeah. So my dad volunteers. And I'm in high school. As we moved out there for my high school years. Um, I was on the wrestling team, wrestled all four years. And, you know, and after practice or in the summer, you know, the team, we hung out. Our team hung out. We hung together, a lot of us. And uh, you hang in downtown Glen Allen, a neat little town like all over America. And the volunteer fired me there on Monday night for drill night. And we'd stop over and see, see my dad and some of his friends. And he knew the whole wrestling team. He knew all my, all my buddies. And uh, we'd hang out. thought, hey, this is pretty cool. Maybe I'll do this someday. Lo and behold, I get my career in a airline, in the airlines, become a mechanic. Now I want to become a volunteer because you had to be over 18. And right. I was going to come on when I was 21. And my dad's like, nope. I'm like, what? He goes, go get your drinking out. Nope. You're not coming out when you're 21. He goes, I want you to go be an idiot. Whatever you young boys do, let me know when you're ready to come on. So I didn't come on Glenn until 1995. I graduated high school in 89. And yeah. came on in 1995 and become a volunteer. And I just... It was literally to do something with my father. Nice. And in doing that, I found I loved it. Yeah. And I can get paid for this profession. Like, this is awesome. So I started testing. And by the luck of God and or the grace of God, who knows what, I got on Chicago Fire Department on February 20th of 2001. So very fortunate. Yeah. But, and you, this is uh, your 22 years this month, right? It is 22 years on the 20th of this month. So to all my fellow Chicago firefighters are February 20th, 2001. Happy 22 years coming up. So, nice. Nice. So, but here's the funny story I always tell about my dad. Yeah. This is, this is true. We were volunteer firemen. I'm living at home still. Um, lived at home and taught how old I was. So I bought, like, got a house with two other firemen in Glenelg. We had a kind of an animal house back then. <laughs> but until then, I, I lived at home. Call comes in in the middle of the night. For a reported structure fire. Now, back then, I had a full-size Bronco. Not the Bronco 2, not the new ones they just came out with that are still smaller than the real original Bronco that was awesome. Had big Dale Earnhardt stickers in the back, tinted windows in the back. Had a loud exhaust on it. It was, it was set up pretty pretty tall. So it was a little wobbly if you drove fast and turned hard, which I tended to do <laughs> on the yeah. way to a call. So right, right, right. Fire comes in. I got the car running. I'm dressed. I'm like, damn, let's go. We got a fire. We got a fire. He's getting dressed half asleep. He gets in the passenger seat. I'm doing Mach 2 to the firehouse. We're flying there. The seats were leather. So needless to say, my dad's sliding all over his seat, swearing at me, slow down, you son of a, you know, so you know how that goes. Yep, so yep, yep. we're flying there. We get to the parking lot. We park, and there were two parking lots to the firehouse. 
one on the one side, one on the other, one on the east and one on the west. So we park, I see a car. Awesome. The way it worked in Glenelg, like probably most volley places, first person there drove because we didn't have an assigned engineer. Right? We're volunteer. Right. First person there that was certified to drove was the engineer. If there was an officer there, the officer would be the officer. If not, the most senior right. firefighter would yep. be the acting officer. Yep. Okay. We get there. There's a car. Perfect. Already a fireman there. We get in. He's getting in the driver's seat to drive it. Awesome. It's my dad and I. Then an officer shows up like, hell yeah. We got an officer. We got a, a driver, chauffeur, engineer, whatever you want to call it. My dad and I pipe in heel. This is going to be awesome. Unbeknownst to me, and my dad's locker and I were one apart from each other. We had opposite shield numbers. My dad had, my dad had badge 42. I had badge 24. I was able to get the reverse of him. Nice. So we're getting dressed. Unbeknownst to me, a fireman parked in the west lot, came in the firehouse, went along the front of the rigs. Our lockers were by the back, and he got dressed. And he went over to get in the rig. Well, he goes to get in the engine. He got in on the officer side. My dad and I are going to get in on the driver's side. I open the door, let my father go first. I think because I'm a gentleman. He looks back and says, sorry, son, we got four. Pushes his foot out, pushes me with his foot, closes the door. The rig pulls out. The bay doors open. I'm standing with all my stuff like, you got to be kidding me. Holy oh, crap. My God. And I'm trying so hard not to swear. I swear a lot when I get yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, holy crap. They pull out, they go. I'm on the second engine out of this house, and the fire was in an unincorporated area of Glen Ellen, up off past uh, St. Charles Road, uh, back where the center ice place was. It was called Ice Ring. Unhydrated. Well, hydrants, but it was a mile away. We were the second engine stuck relaying water to oh, the first my engine. God. My dad was on the line for a back of a house that was fully involved on fire. And I tell the story time. I said, I never woke up that son of a bitch ever again. So <laughs> You take your own car, dad. See ya. I'm not waiting for you. True story. Well, listen, true story. man, we used to dive out of my house all the time. And at that time, it was my father and three boys. So four of us were firemen coming out of that house. So if the page went off in the middle of the night, we refused to ride with each other after the first couple of situations because everybody was slower than each other, right? And so, like, for okay, me, awesome. I would I would push guys out of the way. I would push my brothers off the stairs to get down the stairs first in the house. I, I get it. Our house was like that when the three of us lived together. So yeah. three of us were in the house. We're all volunteer firemen. Oh, yeah. And I would set my clothes up every night. Absol- I, I still do. down with my shoes, with the shirt. I mean, I jumped in the pants, put them on, shirt was on, I was out the door. Like, I'm not you know, waiting. It's funny, 28 years for me, I joined in February of 95 also uh, in the fire service. That's when I started. February of 95, I turned, I was 18 years old in January. The February meeting, I joined, and off we go. And 28 years later, I still, when I go to bed at night, the clothes don't go in the hamper. The clothes go on the floor next to the bed that I was wearing. And then I put the clothes in the hamper the next morning because if I got to get up in the middle of the night, you know, the clothes are there. And it's like, it's just one of those things that guys do in the wintertime. You know, you you keep gloves or your boots right outside. You know, it's like all those things, you know. Um, The other thing too, Rich, I had a full-size Bronco. I had an 86 Eddie Bauer Bronco, rusted out tailgate, just like you, I'm sure. Yep. And, And the 86 had the square headlights, not the rounded headlights. The, oh, no, I had an 85. 86 was the new model, which had the rounded headlights. So I got it, man. I was a full Bronco guy, too, for sure. Love it. 
So love I love it. it. There are a lot of similarities here, man. So yeah. let me let me ask you this: the joy and the thrill of that of the volunteer fire service, and then you go, man, I'm turning the wrench for American Airlines, but I could be maybe testing and and getting hired somewhere and doing what I absolutely love and getting paid for it. What did that look like for you? That process. The process was slow and um, frustrating. I'll give you an example. Yeah. So one of the buddies that lived with me in the house, my buddy of mine, Chris Bradshaw, and this other guy, Jason Murtaugh, we all lived in a house together. My other buddy, John Harris, had his own place, had an apartment. And he, um, we were all testing. We all became, came on as a volunteer fire department around the same time. And um, we're all testing. Where my buddy, John and my buddy Chris get hired in Elgin, a suburb of Chicago. Yeah, I've Probably heard of it. Be a good 45 minutes west of Chicago, right? going down 90, past west of O'Hare. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting a little jealous, like, damn, these guys are getting these jobs, and I'm not. And I'm testing. I tested, took a test in Carroll Stream. I got the, like, the, I don't know how it was. They were hiring maybe two, and I got the 603rd application. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, right. And tested in Deerfield Fire Department, got the interview process. I am 100% not surprised they didn't take you take me when I tell you a story that happened the night before I go to my oral interview. <laughs> and my wife, wife who I lived at the time, wanted to murder me. Um, and I know why they didn't pick me now, I think, back. But I was like, you know, they lost the opportunity. I'm so that could maybe be good to their department. But, and then just testing around and not really making it. And then I tested for Chicago. And luckily, they called after a couple years after I took the test. Took the test, I believe, in. 1995 and got hired in 2001. So the list stay up a very long time in the city. So, yeah. Was, was the process, I mean, were you getting frustrated with the process? Did you, you starting to think that maybe this wasn't going to happen and that you're going to be turning the wrench for the rest of your life? I, I did think that, I don't know how it's going to go because I'll, I'll say this and maybe people are the same or different. Like I'm lucky. I've been promoted to an officer in the city. I'm lucky for a lot of things because I'm not a dumb person, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm not a very intellectual or book-wise great memory person in the least bit. Right. I'm much more better tactically and hands-on, which probably most people are. Yeah. Um, if I don't do it a million times, I won't remember. I forget what I just read. So part of me was like, man, and I was taking classes on how to test better. And I was, I take the same um, psychological test. You know, you had to pick a word like, am I... Do I have passion or drive? And the next question is, do you have drive or a motivation? Right. Do you have motivation or passion? I'm like, what the hell are these questions? Yeah. And I swear I answer the same way every time. And I would get different scores. And I'm like, how yeah. is this possible? Right. I'm taking the same test. Like, I don't know. And it luckily worked out. Um, it was a big hardship, though, because I was engaged to my wife when the city called and uh, when Chicago called. And I took a pretty huge pay cut. I probably made about sixty to seventy grand that year at the airlines with a lot, a lot of overtime. And I'm getting on a company, a crew called the Engine Change Crew. And all we did were engine changes right. on all the planes. And we got mega overtime. We worked twenty four hours sometimes. So we yep. worked sixteen hour, eighteen hour days. Yep, yep. Um, and then I come on the Chicago Fire Department. Our starting pay was thirty three thousand four hundred eighty seven dollars or something wow. like that. My wife's like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. Well. Yeah backtrack to 9-11 and how the market happened with the airlines and everything else it was best thing that ever happened it's been the best thing for my family ever since yeah but you followed a passion though right i mean like you you waited six years they finally called you're doing well in life 
You have a, a very solid paycheck coming in, but it was nagging at you that whole time in those six years, no? I agree. I mean, if you're a firefighter and you don't say thank you every day, yeah. And there, and I've done this. There's days I didn't appreciate the job. There's days you've done maybe something that was not right, maybe not as ethical or moral as you should. And I ain't saying anything bad. No, I get but it. I get it. Maybe how you treated someone, maybe what you did was against policy and you thought no big of a deal. And when you get put in a situation where you may lose all that or you come to the realization, you have that epiphany, like, I'm a jackass. Yeah. I am messing up big time here. And it brings you back to Jesus, right? And or come back to Jesus, whatever you want to call it, meeting or that aha moment. Yep. And that's the fire service. And you better not over tarnish it. And I'm sure I have. And I'm sure there's probably times I may again and not on purpose. And if I do, it's the worst thing I could do. But you're always trying to fix it and make it better because a lot of people came ahead of us and they made the job better for us. And we're supposed to make it better for the next guy. That's not even my phrase. That's from Dick Scheid from the Our Lady of Angels Fires. His message was leave the job a little better for the next guy. That's right. That's, that's right. What I got to do. And if I don't do that, I'm tarnishing all my mentors and role models ahead of me. And some days I get it right. Some days I not as right, and some days I really fail. And that's why you reach out to your mentors, or you reach out to your friends to kind of get you back on track, or to hey, slap you upside the head and say, "Hey, idiot, what are you doing?" Twenty-eight years in the fire service, you still have mentors ahead of you. I have a ton. Yeah. Um. One's one's going on in rest his soul. His name was Mac McCaslin. He was in our fools chapter, and he's the one who got me to be an instructor at the Illinois Fire Service Institute. Um. Couple of my buddies are on the job. Gary Cooney's the captain of the squad too. Brian McCarroll's the uh, special ops battalion chief. Tim Walsh was our district chief of special operations. Um, I got all these guys I teach with in the the RIT program, the collapse program, the fire on officer and command school program, and, and there's so many names. Yeah, um, no, and, sure. I, I can't name them. The Fools chapter. I was. I'm a member of the Southside Fools, and I was. Fortunate to be Fools International president for about eight years or seven years. I don't even remember the time frame. Just that connection with people, and it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, we we reach across so many different genres here, like with with National Fire Radio and who we talk to and and what the conversation is. And we talked to a, a 15 year old junior kid in in a small town in Kentucky who's volunteering for the first time up into like yourself, 28 years in the fire service, 22 with the city of Chicago, working with some of the busiest companies, right. And so on. But I think it's an interesting conversation. And I want to say this, that it doesn't matter where you are in your career, or how many years you've been on the job or into the job, you always still need somebody to sound off of. And I think for you, like, you know, you have a, you have a very strong pedigree and, and, you know, you many years in a, in an urban environment going to a lot of fires and yet you still have and find the need to have somebody to lean on or a mentor to fall back on it. I think that's just really important message to make sure that people in the fire service find somebody that can help them along in their process. You, I think that's a must or you won't last. I mean, a guy I didn't mention was Bob Hoff. Bob Hoff and I talk all the time. Yeah. Yet he was the director of training when I came on the Chicago Fire Department and became our commissioner. And we're as close as close could be. And he fills that role for me that Mac McCaslin used to fill or some of those other people I mentioned. And like I said, there's so many. And there's a guy that has so much passion and drive for the fire service. He's got 42 years in the fire service. I may be wrong on this. His father died 
on February 14, 1962, at a fire, um, trying to pull troops out. And he is probably he is one of the most passionate people I've ever seen for the fire service. And his skill and drive, 66, I think this year, going to be 67. I may get his age wrong. He'll kill me. You look like you're 80, Bob. Um, but um, <laughs> he could outwork probably me today. That's that's how good and how much passion he has, and that's how those people are. And, I strive to be them because I, I don't know if I ever could, and hopefully I can. And they still challenge you, and they still push you to be bigger and better than where you are right now. Yeah, and they're humble. Yeah, I've I love that. Bob teach a class for free where others may demand $5,000 just to show up. He doesn't care. It's about training, and it's about passion. It's about educating firefighters. Yeah. So coming up through Chicago, you get the call, you get the nod, you decide to follow your passion, you go into the fire, you go into the Chicago Fire Department, you start yep. finding your way through a couple different companies, I'm sure. Did you really, I mean, what was that, how impactful was that for when you finally got there and you go, man, this, this, I made the right, that I made the right decision. I need to be here. I, I always knew when I got there, it was like, definitely made the right decision, excited, but something kind of happened there. When I first got on, I went to Engine 72 out of the academy. I got, um, I was very fortunate, not going to want to get uh, the Eugene Blackman Award for my academy class. That's the award for leadership voted on by your peers, by the nice. other candidates or probationary guys. And you want to get that for top academic or top physical. And I was up there for academic and physical. I wasn't number one, but, and then luckily I got that because then you kind of get a pick of spots if you are those things. If after that, Back then is who you knew. Nowadays they do it like a lottery machine. It's a random selection where you go. Right. Except for those couple top spots. So that helped me get to a pretty good engine company and I went to engine seventy two. But they've implemented a BLS program about two years before I came on. I think in ninety eight. No, ninety nine. I think it was ninety nine was the first BLS ambulance class. Now, when we came on I spent a lot of time on a BLS ambulance more than my fire company. Hmm. And the senior guys didn't have to do it. So you couldn't cry to them about it. Right. And everyone in your classmate had to do it. So no sense in crying to them about them. And my uncle Buck, I had, I had a bunch of family on the city at time, uncles and cousins and stuff. And he said, no one wants to hear you complain. Just do your job or you wouldn't have had the job because they got you on. They needed to have more EMTs, firefighters. Yeah. So it worked out, but I went to an all black firehouse hmm. and, um, it was only a couple of white guys there, and it was the best experience I had. And they went to fires, and we learned a lot about each other, background, culture, um, how you live, holidays, food. I, I ate food I never ate in my life, and it was wonderful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I never had collard greens. I never had, you know, I don't know. And the guys were great, and I met some great people, and I'm still friends with them. I, I think it's I, that's the best part, right? Like when you look at the firehouse, man, like all that stuff gets checked at the door. Like people don't understand that. And when they politicize this bullshit in the fire service on the political side about, you know, uh, uh, you know, male, female, gender, ethnicity, all those things like, you know, we, we are in, in some regard um, blind to it because we just trust that we each have the same morals, ethics and values for the job. And you check a lot of that at the door, but being exposed to all those different ethnicities and stuff makes it more exciting. I think you know it, it spices it up. It it creates conversation, you know, talking points, conversation, learning, all that, right? It did that, and also did another thing. It just it, it disbanded any rumors, right? Yes. There's a lot of rumors, yes. a lot of firehouse talk and BS. Yeah. And my uncle Buck, who's on, 
He was, he's, he was an engine guy, always an engine guy. My uncle Steve was always a truck guy. So we have family parties the south side of Chicago. We have the south side Irish parade. I might have a family party. And we'd be jawjacking back at the bar in the basement here about engine and truck. You know, uh, sissy hook and ladder. You want a duck, go on a truck. Uh, I mean, you name it. Like, <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fun. But my uncle Buck was the one that told me, you're going to a firehouse. You're going to learn to be a fireman. But I only spent about two years there. And then I transferred from Engine 72 to Engine 63, and I spent about eight years there. And that house was uh, it was awesome. It was probably the best time I ever had in a firehouse with the crew. Now, this is going to sound, sound funny when my friends and coworkers from Squad 5 are just like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm saying the best time in the firehouse. Yeah. Right? We truly loved each other and did stuff as a shift together all the time and bob gelf was my lieutenant and he made sure that happened and we we went to christenings communions baptism weddings we did parties at the house for father's day we had the family come for brunch and um that taught me how an officer or a leader is supposed to treat their people yeah now, i'm not even talking tactics here i'm not even talking going to fires i'm talking that was the best time i had as a family and the experience we had and uh I was the cook at that house for about three and a half, four years, too. Nice. So, That's cool. And then from there, I went to Squad 5, and I spent uh, six years there, I believe. I was detailed there for two. Then got finally got assigned to the company and then got promoted lieutenant off Squad 5. But Squad 5 was the best time I had in the fire service in learning the job and learning myself. You don't go to the squad because you're a good, tough fireman or any of that nonsense. You got given an opportunity to become better and to learn more because you have the more sets and reps of going to fires in the whole south side of Chicago that you see a lot and get to do a lot. And people say the squad's the fireman's helper, and it's true. We're, we were the utility company. I could be doing a search. I could be driving the front rig, the box rig, or the snorkel, the, the back rig. We could be leading out a line. We could be throwing ladders. It's what is needed on the fire now. It's what the companies. Yeah, so right. I got to learn a lot. And there were some tough, tough firemen there that put you in your place that you learned from and put all those houses together, made me where I'm at today. And I, I'm blessed to be at everyone. Each house was a different experience for a different reason. I, I, I mean, I'm just sitting back listening and learning your story, and, and I, I love this. Uh, the squad company is super unique in Chicago. And maybe some people don't know, but the squad company is, is um, it's, it's like any other city where you run engine or truck assignments, right? It doesn't, doesn't matter. It's where you yep. fit in on the fire ground. And you're basically like a, a rescue company, but you're, you're in an engine company, if you will, right? No, actually, it's different. Oh, no, so, you have the box truck and the snorkel. I apologize. Yes, That's right. Yes. yes. So we have, engine, we have engine and trucks, and we have four squad companies, one, two, five, and seven. Okay. Seven's at the airport. Then you got squad one, two, and five. One's downtown. Two's up north. One and two both cover part of the west side and their respective areas. One's mainly downtown, a little bit of west. Two's north side and west side. And squad five has the biggest still area and covers all the south side going from 39th street to the city limits southeast and west so wow okay it, it was awesome and the joke was there's only one squad in chicago it's squad five now my other squad buddies will argue and will banter <laughs> being on any one of the squads is a gift of a lifetime and a learning experience of a lifetime and you should 
it's take it all and absorb and do all you can to get as much training experience and knowledge while you're there. Yeah. How do you get there? Back in the day, you used to have to be, you were detailed there. Yeah. And if they didn't want you, you didn't even get the detail. That's what I figured. There was an interview process, which you had an interview for and you had to be recommended. And it wasn't always by seniority. It could be by resume and who they wanted it. It was, it wasn't as, an easy task. I actually think it's harder to get there now because they're pretty specific in the process. Now they took out any way of the be favoritism. As right. A send. Right. You, you do an interview and you get questions and you also have to have minimal requirements in the interview process. Say you and I are interviewing for a squad officer spot or fireman spot. If we both answer all the questions they gave us, right. It goes by seniority. Got it. Let's say you're the most senior guy, but you don't really hit all the questions or all their check marks you're looking for. And I do. I may get it on, I interviewed better because I answered the questions looking for. So it's actually pretty fair. Okay. Well, I, and that's what you hear about a lot of these specialty companies in, in, in the cities where there's an interview process and they are looking for the best candidates for the position. And it's not just an open enrollment, if you will. And I think that nope. that, that adds to the credibility of the company and the type of guys that are, uh, you know, disbarking from the truck when they arrive, when the parking brake sets and they go to work. And it, yeah. it's, you know, and, and it makes sense. Do me a favor before we, I want to ask you about being an officer and, and deciding to leave squad five to, to promote and, and all of that. But I'm very curious. We talked about a close call that was um, uh, impactful in your career. And, um, and that was back in January 6th of 2014. And that so I, I would love to dive in a little bit on that. I think people will find a lot of value in your conversation with this and in a, something that you dealt with. Okay. And, and, uh, and so maybe we could just open up that line and, and run down that story. So I have to give some backstory and a little yeah, bit of stuff please. that's going on here. So it was a really cold day. It was, uh, it was the shift. The shift day was January 5th, but it was after midnight. So it's actually going into the morning of January 6th. It's about, two in the morning and it's about 20 degrees below zero. And we got about a foot and a half of snow around at least to a foot and foot and a half. We got a decent amount of snow and it's cold. Now it's the middle of the night and a call comes in for a uh, garage fire over near Midway airport, which is west of where I'm at. Squad mm -hmm. five is at 59th in Ashland, 59, 55 South Ashland. And we typically wouldn't go on a garage fire unless it was right within our still response area um so they have a garage fire over by midway well they get there and they have three garages going so it's more than just a garage also it's sub-zero weather they have a frozen hydrant according to our sops or our policy procedures if you have a frozen hydrant you're supposed to upgrade the alarm automatically so the chief has given me a still in box that's why we get sent to the garage fire right. because the still in box Upgraded strictly for frozen items. Now, with that being said, as we leave the station and we're going in route, they say, okay, um, we got a positive source of water, secure this still in box. And I think the hydrant frozen came before multiple garages. So they say, okay. And then he says, no, I have multiple garages going. You know, give me the still in box. So, like, we're literally going in route, turning our lights off, returning the quarters. Then they reinstate something, going in route, returning back to course for the same call. Finally, some chief says, keep the still in box in a place until this is confirmed or until I'm on the scene. 
He gets there and once again cancel the the box response, and that means cancel the squad coming because that's the only reason why we're going. So we're heading back to quarters. But because they had so many engines going there, the engine in our quarters changed quarters to another firehouse that was further west that did go for the garages. So we literally are just getting back to quarters. I don't even know if we pulled in. I'll be honest. I don't remember this part. I don't know if we even pulled in yet. We get a call for a um, reported structure fire at 5424 South Justine. We'll be going right. We're going right there. I'm driving the snorkel, the, the follow rig or the chase rig. In front of me is the box rig with a firefighter driving, a company officer, and two more firefighters in the back seat. Right. The back seats. Followed by me driving the snorkel, my partner, Mike Rogers, and he was in the passenger seat. So we're going there. We go there. Now, we're at 59th in Ashland. Justine is the block just east or behind the firehouse. The next block over. We're at 59th and Ashton. The fire's at 54 Justine. So it's literally five blocks down, one over. We're there very quick. Right. We're already on the road, already dressed. So with that being said, we pull up, and when we park on a scene, the box rig will the box rig typically will ditch somewhere along the sidewalk or along the curb and get out of the way because we have no water on the squad. We have no water. Tools and equipment between the two apparatus. Now the snorkel, we can pump water through. You know, we got an aerial wave, got yeah, a right. picker or a bucket on it, but that's it. So we pull up, squad five, the box rig pulls off to the side. We stay back down the block a little bit, and I pull off to the curb as well. When I'm looking down the street, there's an empty lot, a one-half-story frame. Next to that is a two-and-a-half-story balloon frame constructed building. That's our fire building. And then next to that, an exposure D. Or actually, that would be B. I apologize. On, on the B side is another one-half story frame. So B and D both have a one-half story frame building as an exposure problem. The two-and-a-half story frames, the center building, and that's got heavy smoke coming out of it. Yeah. Now, we know we got we got a fire. We're the only rigs on the scene. We don't have a lick of water, no water. besides a five-gallon hand pump. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, the way it works is on our ship, Corey Hojack was our company officer. Um, the driver of the box rig would go to the roof with the chainsaw to help open up the roof or confirm the roof was open up. Now, when we first were doing this, all the trucks did not have chainsaws. We still open up roofs by straddling peak and chopping with axes. Yeah. That's how it was. Mm. Not all the companies had chainsaws, just the squads did. So they liked when we came up with that chainsaw. Well, there the driver is going to the roof. The officer is going to the front door with the two firemen. So now he's got two firemen. The officer going to the front door. You got one firefighter that was driving the boxer going to the roof. The snorkel, my job and Mike Rogers, our job was the rear. We always start our operation in the rear of the building, whether it's commercial or residential. The back rig, the snorkel goes to the rear. So with that being said, we park. We see we have a fire. A little information changed my day drastically. And changed from what I would normally do, and got me out of my normal habits or my thinking pattern. And this is where I, this is where the mess up starts, right here in this critical moment. Radio cracks and says, "Be advised, we got a report of babies trapped." Mm. Okay. I hit the, I hit the air brake. I'm literally getting out of the rig. I remember it like it was yesterday. I've never forgotten this day. And I'm like, Mike, you hear that? We got babies trapped. He goes, "Yep." And Mike's a senior fireman, and he was, he's still fireman. Um, he's now the captain of squad five on the second shift. So there you go. It tells you about Mike. Sure. So now we go down the street 
and we're, we're Charlie Hustle, right? We're moving. Sure. Um, I say I don't run on the fire round. You, you walk with a purpose. Running, you miss something or you trip, so we're, we're cruising. So we go down the gangway or the walkway between the two buildings. We call them gangways. Okay. So we go down the D side to get to the rear of the fire building. There is tremendous amount of smoke pumping out. Now, it's so cold that usually smoke is lifting, but it ain't. It's pretty breezy. The smoke is blowing everywhere. It's limiting visibility. Now, we go down the gangway to go to get in the rear of the two-and-a-half-story frame building of our fire building, and we can't because there's a fence, so we got to go to the alley. We have alleys in Chicago most places, an alley that runs a road between the two buildings right. in the back. We go into the alley, go around the fence, into the backyard of the fire building. As I look at this building, there's a wooden porch, all right, like six, seven steps up, goes into the first floor of the house. There's an offset window up high telling me there's a landing. That's a landing going up to the second floor. Sure. It's facing an enclosed back porch with a exterior porch added to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Off to the right of the rear steps is a couple of concrete steps down to a rear access basement door. When we go down the gangway, the aluminum siding is glowing orange, mm. glowing orange. I put my fire in it and I say, be advised. We have a fire running up the walls. We yeah. have a fire running up the walls on the Delta side. And it's the balloon frame, right? Yeah. Yeah. But none of that's clicking with me. Right. I heard what? Babies. Babies. Yeah. You got to get in, go to work. So we go to the back. My partner, Mike Rogers, and I, we pop the rear door to the basement. It has a padlock on it and scissor gates. We pop that. We pop the lock, pop the scissor gates off. We force the rear door. We have a heavy fire in the basement. I mean, it is a rocking stem to stern basement fire. Mm -hmm. Now, I often say there's fire around noise that you don't think about at the time, but sometimes you remember later, or you do hear. Like when you hear the primer pulled on a fire ground, that's like the universal cry for help. Yeah, you know, exactly. something's not good. Yep. Well, you hear the air brakes, you hear noises, you hear sirens. So we knew people were coming. They're, the troops were coming. So while we're forcing the door, a line shows up and to the rear of the building. Like, awesome. Hey, we got a fire in the basement. Bring the line over here. Not sure at the time where the line came from, what company, but we had a line, right? One of the engine companies are there. Now, as he goes into the basement, Mike and I backtrack and go up the stairs to get to the door for the first floor. We pop that door. We go in. Now we're in the enclosed back porch area. There's a wall next to me to my right, right? And then there's the stairs to my left going up to the landing, up to the second floor. And straight in front of me is a rear door into the interior of the house, which is a kitchen door. Right. Pop the kitchen door. There is fire in the kitchen. But off the kitchen is a rear door, or I should say interior door, to the basement. That door was open. So we hook the basement door, try to close the basement door, close the back door, and say, okay, we need to get a line in here. Mike and I retreat out of the kitchen area, back to the porch, to the rear porch, and say, hey, we need a line here. We see a guy with a line standing in the backyard, and he's hitting the exposure. Like, hey, you got a line? Bring it up here. He says, okay, I will. He brings the line. We get going. He loses water. We just get right back into where we started, mm. and he loses water. Yeah. A couple of things happened that I didn't know at the time. The line that went to the basement, that guy got hit by electricity as they went in. He goes down. 
and they bail out of the basement with the line. Right. So they got to get him out. So no one's hitting the basement fire. The guy that was with us in the backyard, I'm not going to use names and companies, so I won't do that. Um, he lost water because they were spraying water on the exposures. Okay. Yep. Well, what happened is that line was off an engine that came in the alley. We're not supposed to take the alley um, because there's power lines, limited means of ingress and egress, mm-hmm. and there's no hydrants in alleys. The other side of the alley were like businesses. So they have like wrought iron fences, right. sheet metal fences. You can't. So this engine that backed into the alley had to go down the alley to the end of the block, turn, go over to Ashland, the next block over, which is a double-lane road with a median in the center. Across the road, across the median, the other side of the street of Ashland to get a hydrant. Yeah. And then we have frozen hydrants. So we have a bunch of crap going on here yeah. in this instant. So the guy that was spraying water, the exposures, they're out of water because that was the engine that was in the alley. They lost water because they didn't have a positive source yet. They were running off tank water. Yep. Guys in the basement were off to the side, had no clue what was going on. So Mike Rogers, I'm going to go to the engine and in the alley and see what the problem is. I said, okay. So we come back out again. Now, I couldn't tell you the time frame. It could have been seconds, minutes. Yeah, sure. Kind of it goes quick. So Mike goes, I'm going to go see what's up with the engine. I go, okay. I'm gonna, I'll hold here. I'll wait here, and I'll see if I can get another line or what we got going. He goes, okay. I'll be right back. Literally, I look off to my left because I'm facing the alley away from the house. I see a guy, when I'm like, hey, you got water? He goes, I go, get the app up here. We need a line in here right now. I go, Mike, we got a line. Come on, come on, we got a line. I don't look back and confirm Mike hears me. Yeah. I don't, Mike didn't hear a word I said. Mm-hmm. The guy that had the line off to the side was the officer of the line that was going to be, or was in the basement. The primary line in the basement, yeah. You got it. Another trick, or another part of this, when I went in, with Mike, when we found a guy hit the exposures and we went in with that line initially, he said he was getting shocked. We're like, what? We're crawling off fours. Like, me and Mike weren't. Mike and I were not. I will go slow, and then it went away. That must have been what happened in the basement. We had, unbeknownst to us, you know what I mean? We had no clue. This yeah, sure. On. So, as I see this guy off to the side, it's the officer from the line in the basement. I know the guy. I know he's an officer. I got blinders on. I saw a line. And the guy said, water, I'm like, let's go. We got to get in there. We got to find his kids. We go up to the back door again. Now the kitchen's cruising pretty good. It's got to be. In the kitchen. Yeah. But he hits it all, knocks it down. And I remember, for whatever reason, I had my face piece on already. He did. Because we were Mike and I were coming in out, so we were just clicking our regulator on and off, right? Yeah. Well, this guy was outside, so he wasn't. We had a mask up. So I go, I'm going ahead of you. I'm going to search. I go ahead of this guy to search. I'd crawl a couple feet. I'd stand up, try to pull the ceiling, make sure I didn't have fire above me. Did that once or twice, and I slip on the kitchen floor because it's so slippery tile with snowy, icy shoes. Sure. I fall, and when I fall, I turn 180 degrees. I knew when I went in the back door that the, the Bravo side was always off my right shoulder. But when I fell and fell in the middle of the kitchen, I go to get against the wall. I end up getting against an interior wall, not yeah. the exterior Bravo wall. Right. And this kitchen had two doorways. Mine has it. You can go around my kitchen in a loop. If you somehow got turned around, it could keep going around like an island almost, you know what I mean? Or a yep. wall. No, I get it. Two so I go, all right, I better get back. This ain't good. Not paying attention. That guy's not with me. 
not paying attention. They're telling him to get out because they need that line in the basement, and it's the officer. Not paying attention. My partner's not with me, never heard me. But I got to get in there and search. So I'm crawling, making mistakes, making a ton of mistakes, searching above a fire. I was going to say, that fire is burning in the basement below, unchecked. Not a line on it, right? You close the interior door coming up from the basement to the kitchen, right? That was like a blowtorch, right? That that thing was starting to consume the door, I'm sure, right? Well, it was after I got into that kitchen, after I got a little turned around, for sure, at that point. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of communication. Searching above a fire without a uh, protection hose line. Not communicating with your partner. Right. Not understanding building construction and fire behavior. Not understanding bag, where the fire's been, where the fire's at, where it's going. Yeah. I knew where it's been. It's been in the basement. Right. Right. right? It's been in there. I know where it's at. It's in the walls running up to the attic, and it's going to the attic. Sure. So. And now, say, and now you're disoriented. Well, disoriented. Trying to find my way. I figure I got, I know where I'm at. I'm on the Bravo wall. I'm going to find right back and right back out. I end up in a closet. Tied up and stuff, you know, the debris in the closet. Yeah, of course. I'm like, where the hell am I? What the hell's going on? Then it kind of dawns on me that I'm messed up. Like I'm, I'm not where I think I am. I'm by myself. No one knows where I'm at. Another part, radios. My radio, from getting wet a little bit with the lines and the snow and everything, kind of is all muffled, not really working, communicating well. Right? You get the mic wet. Yeah. And we were spraying water outside. They were spraying above our heads when we were first trying to get in the lost water. And I mean, it was just kind of how things went that my radio wasn't really working well. I couldn't muffle it. I, and I wasn't even thinking about it. So as I'm sitting there, I go, man, it's getting hot and I cannot see the floor. I'm laying on it and I can't see a, an inch in front of my face. That's how black and dark the smoke is. Yeah. So finally it goes, holy Christ. I'm in a bad way here. So I look at my remote gauge on my past on my pack and I look at it. It says two thousand pounds. Now our SOP says lost, trapped, out of air, immediate meat of assistance. You're supposed to call a mayday. I teach right under fire. I've taught it since we uh, my friend Gary Cooney took over the program in 06 and we revamped it with a bunch of us. So I've taught right under fire for many years. Now we're yep. talking 24, 2014. I've been teaching risk in 2006. Right. I'm on a slack company. I got about, you know, 16 years in the fire service or more. I'm, you know, 15 at the time. I don't know. Supposed to be a pretty good fireman, right? Have some knowledge. Man, I am screwing up every which way. And I'm talking myself out of calling a mate because I'm not out of air. I got 2,000 pounds. Right. But I don't know where I'm at. I am lost. And I have uncontrolled fire burning in the basement. Fire running up wall stairwells. Heavy fire up on the second floor or in the attic. So I kind of freaked out in the sense that my daughter's flashed before my eyes. Call me a liar. I don't lie. I'm not BSing. I wanted to get out of this building so I could see my girls get married and walk the aisle. That's what comes to my mind. Wow. I go, I have to find a way out of here. I, I got to do something. So I just pick a way to go. I don't call a mayday. I know the rules. I don't do it. I'm too embarrassed. Here's the ultimate part. This yeah. is it. Jeremy. Yeah. I, yep. I don't have the moral courage to call a mayday because I'm going to embarrass myself and this elite company supposedly I'm part of and I'm supposed to be or whatever nonsense. I didn't want to embarrass myself or my company, so I'm not going to call a mayday. That's how stupid my thought process is. 
Uh, we're we're going to get back to that. Like Keep, going. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going because right. I want to get back to that. Go ahead. All right. So I say, screw it. I just got to find a way to go. And I'm yelling out, fire department, anyone in here? You know, not for a search because I'd yell out when I'm searching. Yeah. I'm yelling out to see if there's got to be someone else in this building. It's like crickets. I don't hear grass blaking. I don't hear saws running. I don't hear water flowing. I'm like, oh, man, I have no clue what's going on. I keep crawling, and I crawl right into a fireman. Like, holy Christ. Like, who is this? He goes, it's Amon. I shouldn't have said a name, but Amon Matthews was a fireman on 116, but he was detailed out that day to another fire company. And the fact I'm running into Amon, who wasn't at our firehouse, it's not registering. Why is he in this building on this company? Why is he here? Right. He wasn't at our house today. Right. You no, know, he wasn't on 116. He was on somewhere else. Well, he's, he's on the pipe on 123, and he shouldn't be on the pipe because when you're detailed another company, you don't get their pipe. Yeah. So, or nozzle, sorry, nozzle, pipe, whatever. <laughs> um, so, needless to say, his officer grants me, he goes, who's this? I'm like, it's Stack. I'm so-and-so. I am out of air complete. I got to get out right now. He leaves the building. You got Amit. I'm like, holy shnikes. I'm trying not to swear. Yeah. What's going on? I'm thinking we're not getting out of this building. He just leaves and goes off somewhere. So I asked Amit, you know where you're at? He goes, I have no clue. Mm. Holy Christ. I'm thinking, okay, things just got better, but they're not better. Yeah. They start blowing on the air horns, emergency, emergency, everyone evacuate the building out. Get out of the building immediately, full evacuation. Air horn, 30-second short blast on the radio, emergency traffic, everyone out of the building, mate, you know, everyone get out of the building. Now, I'm in and I got to follow this line out, and it's tangled up, furniture's knocked over, you name it. You know how it is. Ah, absolutely. Him and I come, I, I want to speak for him. I come falling out the front door because it's so icy. It's like an ice flick because everything's freezing inside as cold as. And we slide out the front door down the steps and then slide up in front of the building. Were you able to follow the line out? Or was we it just dumb luck able, that you found your way? We were able to, I think a little bit of both. I, I'd say we were able to follow the line, but it was mixed, you know, kind of tangled up a little bit. But yeah, sure. Furniture got moved on stuff. That's the whole other thing with searching. Why throw furniture around? But they do. So. Needless to say, we come out the front. One of the senior firemen, his name is Dave Walsh, he goes, what the hell are you doing out here? Why are you at this? Why are you in the front of the building? Yeah. He knew right away I messed up. My officer then knew was there. He was there. And they're like, why are you in the front of the building? Where's your partner? I go, I don't know. He has no clue where I'm at. And it was like, I'm kind of freaked out because I'm telling you, that little incident that all this stuff's going on, it seemed like eternity. Yeah. It may have been seconds. It may yeah. have been minutes. And I'm telling you, the floor was getting hotter. It was getting worse. And I, I knew all this stuff was bad. And I don't know what I was thinking, right? I had to find these babies. I'm a good, aggressive fireman. And I ignored everything I was learned, taught, and everything I preached. And there, yeah. needless to say, I'd go to the rear, found my partner, Mike. He wanted to kill me. we go defensive. We lose that building. We have exposure problems in both buildings. We end up in an exposure building, cutting a, or cutting a hole in the building or either the roof or one of the wall or taking the wind off, doing a point of vantage to the exposure building. And we got back to the firehouse, and the guys left me alone. They knew I was upset enough myself at myself, and I was freaked out. I didn't want to go to another call that night. I just wanted to go home Yeah. and uh, wanted to be my family. And uh before I probably get emotional, talk about it. I, I I don't now, or I probably could. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't tell my wife what happened. I didn't tell my girls later that day or that weekend, whatever. Because that was like a Monday, Sunday to a Monday. That following weekend, we went to my friend 
uh, Brian McCarlos and a bunch of these guys and people I talked to or talked about or friends and mentors were there. And we're off to the side and we're talking about it. And I'm upset and I'm getting upset and I'm drinking heavily, right? I, if I had one vodka club soda, I'd probably had 20. I'm not kidding. I think yeah. I drank the whole bottle of vodka. Yeah. Trying to cope, right? And my wife's sharp. She knows something. Jill knows something's up, but I'm not telling her the story. And the guys are talking, well, what'd you do? Well, this is understandable for this. Well, you shouldn't be like, they're, they're supporting me yet telling me, hey, you're an idiot. But yep. hey, you know, you did this, though, and got out, and all this stuff. So it was a thing. And I never realized the consequences of my actions or the things I do and how it affects my family until that day. My daughters picked up on it at home where I'd go in the bedroom or the basement and I would talk away from them. Right. They all picked up on it and sure. they knew, but I never told them. And I was lucky that day and a lot of bad things happened. And I'm lucky to say I'm here for it. And I was probably the crappiest fireman I've ever been in my life that day. Well, I, and so, all right, so let's unpack this a little bit, man. That was a hell of a story. And the, the fact that you're, you know, part of the process, I think, for you is admitting that it happened and that, you know, I, I think too often we don't have real conversations with ourselves when we do get jammed up a little bit because we, we count it as a close call and we move on and we go, that's over, like got out of that yeah. one. You know, we, we, I was able to get out of that one. You know, that was a close one. Um, but for you, like there's so much here because, like you said, years in, elite fire company, you're and and everything just started falling apart, and it was like the the script got flipped as soon as you heard the different report. Your mindset changed, your focus changed, and then from there, it just everything started breaking down. But the what what I think is all too common, or is that question that we have of the self doubt about ourselves, our skills, and then what it looks like to call a mayday. If in fact it's not, you know, you might think it's not warranted, right? You were worried that day and put ego ahead of safety. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, but I think I that, ha Rich, I think that happens a lot. Probably, and maybe if people like myself and other firefighters and officers and chief officers admit our mistakes and come humble about it, because we're yeah. supposed to make mistakes, That's right? right. We're supposed to, but and let it be known, it's okay. And it may happen tomorrow, and if it happens tomorrow and I'm going to get razzed, right? You're going to get razzed. You're going to get griefed, right? What the hell? Why did you do this? Yo, you're going to get criticism, maybe from the bosses, maybe from uh, other company officers, chief officers, maybe your crew. Um, I am here to say that take the criticism, take the grief, because people know who you are and what you are. And is it worth widowing and offering or for, I can't even say the word, um, Orphaning your children or your wife or your spouse, whatever that may be, because of your ego. If yeah. you think so, then I'm sorry, get out of this profession. Yeah. I thought so. And I'm I I was a coward. I'm telling you I was a coward. Well all right, in that regard, but in the other regard, you're not. And and I mean that in the way that you fought to get out. You know, part of part of what I'm concerned about, Rich, and you talked about RID under fire and you've been teaching it a long time and then you find yourself jammed up in a situation and you even question the fact to call a mayday or if it if it even met the requirement of what a mayday should have been, right? According right. to the Chicago Fire Department standard operating guideline on maydays, right? Like you were second guessing yourself and putting a lot of other things in front of your own safety, especially the fact that you got jammed up. But the thing is, and what I worry about the most is we don't teach and train enough to tell our people to fight for their lives. Like I almost feel that when we talk about RIT, 
we talk about we're going to come get you, and I want you to remember this acronym, and you tell us where you are, who you are, all this shit, but we're not telling them, in the meantime, fight like hell to get out of the position you're in, right? Yeah. Isn't, like, that went through your mind. You're like, I'm laying in this closet all wrapped up in shit. I got to get out of here. Like, I got to get out of here. Think about it. We used to teach firefighter rescue and survival, self-rescue and survival. That's right. That's right. Right? And I think we get away from some of that now because we do have RIT, and RIT is so important, and I'm a huge, huge fan of RIT. I was one of the guys standing out in the lawn in front of the fire building in RIT when it's 98 degrees outside and humid or when it's negative 20 outside and cold as can be with a windshield, and your buddies are walking by giving you the finger or harassing you because they're going to work and you're stuck there. And RIT, teaching that RIT program changed my whole perspective on RIT. Now, you brought up training. Let's talk training. Do it. How many times do you do a ritual back in your firehouse and do it right in the bay floor? That's right. Right? Or All the time. Extrication gloves. Try putting on fire gloves. Put your hood on backwards in full gear. Then get the rip pack. While you're carrying the rip pack, find the down member and put him on air. Or do any rip skills you want. Put webbing around him if you do that. If you do this... Um, Waste belt conversion. I have my own opinion on stuff, and there's sure. I, I'm going to stay away from controversial topics. No, that's fine. Room. That's uh, fine. Wrong. No worries. Uh, our RIP program that Gary Cooney runs that we teach at uh, the Illinois Fire Service Institute, we're a big fan of using the harness that's on you because it's on you. Um, we like to just grab and go and not do the waste belt conversion just because of time and speed. People can argue both ways. So I'll, I'll give you both. You're right. The waste, the pack won't slide. Point is, point is this: whatever you do. Can you put the webbing around someone and get a girth hitch on them, whatever you call it, with gloves on, blacked out, and can't see? Can you get that rip pack out, turn it on, and when you turn on, you better be turned on while you're standing in the front lawn watching, not after you go in the building. Because you may have checked at 0800, but I'm telling you, on some of the rip packs you've had in the city from sitting in the compartment and moving, moving stuff around, that high-pressure coupling can turn just a little bit. And leak air and blow your your high pressure coupling or O ring in there. Sure. Now it's out of service. That roof pack's useless. So let's do real. Have you ever called your own mayday? Wow, well, that's, when we keep yep. right under fire, we got the OSFM, the State Fire Marshal Office in Illinois, to allow us to use live down firemen for RIP. We us instructors are down as a live victims for RIP drills. Yeah. Now we have some rules we have to follow. We have to have a full SCUA has to be a safety instructor standing right there just to monitor you and what's happening and at any at all times. Everyone's got to know the drill, the plan. We have to use Mayday for the drill, Mayday, Mayday for the drill, so they know. So if there's a real Mayday, we would just say Mayday. It took a lot of fighting. I am telling you, the students have all said, night and day, game changer. Yeah. Moving someone through obstacles around in gear, blacked out, not by a hood, but real smoke, and actually having – you ever put a face piece on someone in real bad conditions? Right. The strap folding in, the netting getting away, the rubber cup not sealing. You'd be surprised how beat up you get when we do it in training. And people are doing it on the bay floor? No. Well, that's that's it, right? And I I think though, and and I lo- I love all this and and so on. But you you really hit on it before, man. You said that we used to teach firefighter safety and survival, survival, fight, fight for yep. your own life. Like we can't. We can't project this picture. You're you were laying there on the floor and, and seeing your daughter's faces and going, I'm not dying here. 
I'm not dying here. I'm not dying. I screwed up. I made some errors here, but I got to get out of here. And you recognize that nobody's coming for you. You're going, you got to do this yourself. And I think the resiliency of that is important. And I don't think we talk enough about that when it comes to that. And when guys get jammed up in situations, you wonder, one, how many people have put themselves in situations where they probably should have announced the Mayday, right? And they didn't because ego, bravado, get in the way. Or sometimes they don't even know they're in that position until it's too late to, to call that Mayday. But the one thing is, is we can't tell our people that we're coming to get them. We're going to do everything we can to come get you, but if we don't mm -hmm. even know where you are, right, Rich? Because you said right. nobody knew where you were. No, I couldn't have told them where I was. That's right. I could have said, I'm on the first floor somewhere near the kitchen. Right. Better than nothing, but I'm telling you, at the time, I was so frustrated and flustered and had a million things going through that's my right. mind. That's right. My my thinking wasn't that clear, and that's why our training's got to be that much better so yes. it becomes second nature habit, you know? So what do we do? How do you, like, when you teach that writ under fire, like, just your own experience, what did that teach you? I mean, what do you do? Do you, Are you more conscious now of not getting that tunnel vision going down the, I, you called, what, the gangway, right, that you called? Like, right. I mean, talk to me about your own mindset on this now. My, my mindset is that still, right, you're still learning, still trying not to mess 100%. Up, but I would say that I realized and learned that as a young firefighter, you maybe as a young officer, we have to be training our people regularly, right? Chief officers should be training their their companies, right? Battalion chiefs should be training their companies in their battalion. Company officers should be training their troops, right? And if that don't happen, and it all starts from the top, if we don't get buy-in from the top. That's right. How are you gonna get it from the bottom? Because the safety of our people is number one priority. That's I mean, that's all there is to it. I'm here to help people, protect people, save life, property, all that nonsense, typical textbook but it's our people because if we get hurt we can't do our job we're not helping anybody that's right and i'll give you an example i've been at fires where a company officer or maybe even a chief officer said hey go in the basement and shut the utilities down it's got three feet of water two feet of water you want me to go down in two feet of water and shut the electricity off well that don't seem too bright to me no but now i can't refuse an order so we need to teach firefighters to understand fire behavior building construction and tactics. So if something's unsafe, I am not saying disobey an order. Find a different way to do it. Could you pull the meter and outside? Could you talk to another chief? Is there a different way to achieve that same task? Or you go down the stairs and pretend you pulled it and you never did. Right. Like, I mean, they wanted them to throw a ladder on a building. It was aluminum siding. Wires were down on the chain link fence and the siding was glowing or getting sparks in one pocket in the fence. Our ladders are metal. The chief was right. He needed a ladder somewhere, but was that the right place to throw a ladder in the right time because of that? Yet, if we don't train firefighters how to think and company officers how to think and recognize these things, we end up being mindless drones on the fire ground, and that's good for nobody. Well, and that comes down to, right, training. And I always talk about how do you teach initiative, right? How do you teach, you know, we need to instill firefighters to be able to make their own decisions too. I mean, the orders come down. But the order is coming from somebody that might not be right there in the trench next to you to recognize that that order that they just gave might not be able to be completed the way they expect it to. And you have to be able to call that audible, right? It's always about calling yes. that audible and being able to act on it, right? Agreed. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. just like we do the opposite to the Chiefs, right? Yes. Hey, let's go back up. Give us five more minutes. We got it. That's right. Five more minutes. How many people have died? 
because of five more minutes. That's true. Now, listen, I, I grew up in an aggressive interior firefighting company. I'm a big fan of it. Um, we get, I'll give you an example. We're a big fan of it. But there are times when those chiefs are right, and they're backing us out. We're missing something. We don't That's have right. the 360-foot view or the bird's-eye view, whatever you want to call it. Yep. But on the flip side, too, I got in a disagreement with a fireman because something we do in Chicago is blitz attack, right? With quick water, we call it. Qu- quick water. See, blitz attack and quick water get intermixed all the time, and it's not the same thing. Quick water is using your tank water the, to using tank water to throw water on the fire or at the fire before you run out of tank water and you get a positive source of water. Right. Now, rather, it's using your cross leg and start with flowing water to go to work, and you're making sure you're getting that water coming back to the engine before you run out, whether it's dropping two lines. Another one we do is using the deck gun on top of the engine to hit it with a lot of water real quick. Right. By someone still making the hydrant. Now, granted, let me throw a caveat. We run five men, five member engine and trucks in the city. And I think it's 30% of those companies could be what's called a training variance or a variance, according to the contract. So some companies will have only four, but typically our managers are normally five and five. Squads have a total of six. We have the manpower and people to do it. But a guy argued with me, that's sissy firefighting. I go, I pull up. I have a building with a heavy fire on one and two, an exposure problem in Bravo and Delta, and I'm going to deck on the fire building and hit the exposures real quick to buy us time so we can catch up. The fire's beating us. They're winning. Yep. It's not about being a coward. It's about being safer and more effective. Well, it, listen, man, it's punching it in the face, and you got a five-man engine company if, if you're running minimums, whatever, right? You can still have, yep. while one guy blitzes the front door with fire throughout on, on floors one and two, you can still stretch that line so when you get that domestic water line established, that line's going yep. in the service. Like, the, you punch it in the face, man. It's what we do. And there's a lot of ways to do it. People say, oh, you have Manning. I could do that with one fire. I could do that with one person on an engine. That's right. That's right. Volunteer fire from Driver pulls up. Places the rig, puts it in pump, climbs up top. If you use a ball gale, a ball valve or a gate valve, I'll, I'll leave that argument out of yeah. there. That's another <laughs> topic. Um, if having the valve up there that you could send water up to the deck gun until the person gets up there to aim the deck gun where they want it, That's right. hit it for a short blast, you can do it with one person. It's still safe for minimal manning. So, and actually, that's the class I'm doing at FDIC on April. 26. I'm doing blitz attack as an offensive attack, utilizing tank water. Oh, cool. April 26 from 10:30 to 12:15. Come debate, come argue, tell me I'm full of crap, but it's nothing I invented. This is something that this firefighter started back in the 1950s sure. when they had tanks that had 300 gallons of water on it. Yeah, and I and I think it should be said too, though, the importance of some type of shut off in line up top and not just at the panel because you're going to conserve your water. And that's the, yep. that's the thing. We talk about that a bunch, and, and we've documented a lot of that as we travel with different departments and seeing how they do it. But a lot of departments traditionally, the only on-off valve for, for the deck gun on top was at the pump panel. And so you could waste yep. you could waste tons of water before you get that thing aimed. With an inline valve, man, you, you know, aim and shoot, and, uh, and you're going to maximize your water for sure. Yep. All right, Richie, yep. what, a, what a very powerful story you shared with us. And I, I think that uh, I'm sure that's left a mark on you and lessons learned and, and so on. I think it's a, it's a powerful talking point. And I think a lot of people out there that are going to listen to this, it's going to resonate with them because I think we've all been in situations that uh, we don't know how we ended up there to begin with. And then we count our lucky stars that we got out of it. 
And, um, and I think a lot of things in this job can go south, and sometimes they do. Um, but I think it's important that we recognize that I think it's important your company held you accountable for it, and then you held yourself accountable for it, right? Because that's the only way you're going to learn. And you said it before, man. We make mistakes. We need to learn from them. That's the truest statement. Yeah. Very true. So talk to I me. Am. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so, I mean, I just want to pivot a little bit. We've been going, we're like an hour and 10 minutes in already. It goes quick. Um, talk to me about lieutenant life, man. So you were rocking, uh, rocking a position as a firefighter in Squad 5, which is probably, like you said, uh, the, probably one of the busiest companies in the city. And you're going yep. to a lot of work. I mean, it's, a, it's an ideal spot. What made you want to go up the line? Well, it's funny you say that because... Um, Maybe you didn't. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I had ambitions to move up the line and be director of training or this and that. And, sure. Um, I didn't test as well as I should on the captain's exam, and it looks like I may get captain here in Good. the future. Nice. Soon, real soon. Um, but should have been sooner, and then I, mean, I could have taken the next promotion. And we don't have tests for sometimes eight to ten years in between ranks. Oh, Chief's wow. the quickest one. So. Missing an exam or not doing well in an exam can change your course of your life. Yeah. And it's on you. It's you against everyone else. No one screws you over. I didn't test as well as I should. Let's say that flat out. The I needed to do better. Got it. Now, being a lieutenant or being a company officer, I had some great company officers and some poor ones. And the, some of my mentors and role models all said, you need to get promoted. We need leaders in the fire service. You need to be a leader. You should be a leader. And I also learned something that if you're not moving up, then you should be moving out, right? Move up or keep going forward in your career, whether it's training. You could be a senior fireman and keep moving sure, up. So please sure. don't take that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. We need those senior barn boss, blue shirt firefighters. Absolutely. So, um, I just thought I'd be good for my family. And everyone says it's about the pension. It's about the pension. I never thought of that way, and I still don't. If I make captain or I got to study for chief, probably I can't even wrap my head around that. And, uh, everyone's already people say that now and i'm like they're out of their mind they're probably right but i've never approached it about the pension i approached it about trying to be as good as those other bosses and keeping the members safe and doing the right thing um and it takes a good six months to a year in my opinion to get me comfortable as a company officer sure. i'm relieving right sure. i don't i'm not just on an engine i'm not just on a truck and that's a problem maybe for full-time career departments um, because we make some really good one-dimensional firemen sometimes, or firefighters, I should say, sometimes. And you come out as a company officer and you're a backstep fireman or you're the senior driver on the truck and you always go to the roof. You ain't been in the building a long time. Our guys going to the roof don't wear air packs going to the roof. Roof, sorry, roof. No, roof. you're fine. We know it. Right. So we don't. So now you've become a company officer, a lieutenant. Now you're in a building, and my biggest job in the building is crew safety and accountability. That's, I'm here to tell you that. You have to know where your people are at all times, or at least an idea. Yeah. They're over off that bedroom to the right, right? Yep. I mean, I have to know that. And coming, I'm becoming an officer and truly understanding the difference between an engine or a truck or a squad or this or that and where my people are, it's humbling and scary. Sure. And it comes back to, again, to what we talked about, training and practicing and, and all that. And you have to do it. And I will say, I'll give a story. Sorry, another story. No, you're good. I, I was detailed to engine 73 as the officer for the day. Single engine house. 
There is nothing in this house, just an engine. No ammo, no nothing. It's a single-engine house. There are some single engines that have ambos. This doesn't. And they're pretty busy. They're 86 in Emerald, basically. Go in there for a roll. I'll go in there for the morning. I'm, I get to the firehouse usually around 5.30, pretty early as a company officer. But I just like to get there early and get my sure. wits about me and yep. understand what's going on. They're there. Knew all the firemen there. Been there before. Great house. Um, and we came out with a new connection for the hydrant. So if the hydrant had an open port, the brass threads were missing because they steal them. Yep. Um, it's a quick adapter that you can put in the hydrant port. You literally put the knob at 12 o'clock, you quarter turn it, and it locks in place. Now, right. it's going to leak, but you can hook up your supply hose to the mm-hmm. hydrant. Now, make it usable. Well, we get there in the morning. We have a roll call. I knew this thing just came out. The old fitting we had was a brass fitting that you turned and kind of screwed in with coarse threads. And then there was a nut inside there that you had to use a, a tool to tighten that little nut right. to hold it in place. Which so locks it down, like, yeah. This takes seconds. So, mm-hmm. like. They're like, I play dumb. I'll, I I play dumb. Hey, guys, did you see that new thing that came out, that new hydrant thingy? And I'm playing dumb. I ain't using a sure. right name or nothing. Sure. And the guy's like, no, we don't. Yeah, the brass thing, right? I'm like, is that it? I thought there's another one. No, I don't know. I go, well, let's look. You know, do a little roll call, a little company drill real quick. Your drills could be 20 minutes. They can be an hour. But make them short, make them pertinent and relevant. Yes. Short meaning you don't need a three to four hour company drill. I'm sorry. Or a company school. I think that's ridiculous. Okay. So today we're just going to talk about some stuff. We find the fitting. I show them the new fitting. They never knew nothing about it. They had a nice discussion about making a hydrant. You know, who's doing what? And the guy that I was talking to was a guy I had as a candidate when I was an instructor at the fire academy. Cool. And he's like, okay, great. Lay sure as sure as it could be that night we had a fire two blocks from that firehouse with a person that was trapped downstairs in the basement didn't know at the time and we literally pull up to a uh, a one-story raised ranch it's a quarter house we pulled on the we came down halsted and turned on 89th it was the corner house on 89th so we're actually on the delta side of the house looking at the d side the front of the house is on uh emerald or on the side street and then uh, as you look in, there's a big picture window. I could see fire in the first one. I go, oh, we got a fire. Report, we had a fire. Report the address, our direction of travel. We go to lead out, and the one guy goes to the hydrant. Now, I go right to the back door. I don't know why. I just did because we're in the side of the house. Um, something that Milwaukee Fire Department does a lot. They always go to the rear because they can get to every floor, they say, from the rear. Right. The front door doesn't always. So, yep. for whatever reason, we were on the side of the house on the D side. It just made sense. I could get right to the kitchen. I know it was midship. Fire was in the middle of the house. I could see it through the bay, uh, the picture window. It was right in the living room, dining room, whatever you call it. So as I'm going, I hear a guy yelling, help. Go down the couple concrete steps to the basement. The guy's stuck behind the door, can't get open because there's it's locked and blocked. There's the greenway. And I'm forcing the door, and I call it I call it a, a civilian assist with smoke. Not like I did anything special at all. I got the door open, walked the guy out. As the guys were stretching the line, they came to the back door of the kitchen. And I'm like, I got this guy. He's good. I, the heel guys are walking down to the body and just walk them to the engine. Just take them. And me and the firefighter went in the back door. Heel guy came back, started making our advance, putting out fire. Textbook fire, all the other companies came. Everyone did what they were supposed to. They were awesome. I did nothing special. The company did. They went to work, and this is the funny part of the story. That fireman that we were talking about, boy, hey, you see this new fitting? I was talking to all of them, but he was my hydrant guy. That right, day. right, right. He was my guy. He comes in the fire and goes, Holy crap, you're never going to believe it. I'm like, what, what? He's like, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. I'm like, what? He goes, the hydrant had a bad port. 
I had to use that fitting. I go, what? <laughs> I had to use the fitting. It's awesome. I go, well, I'm sure glad we talked about it. I go, what would you have done if we didn't talk about it? He goes, I don't know. I go, tell me you would have found another hydrant. And he started laughing. Yeah. But yeah. the point is, the company, that was a day that it felt good for me to be a company officer because the company did something great. I, I did not. Yeah. The company did. Yeah. That's when it's great. And when I solidified the reason why I became a company officer and why you should. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does. And I, I think it's exciting. You know, I, I know you and I've gotten to know you. And even today, just listening to some of your stories and so on. Um, it, I, I know how passionate you are and I know how you put your guys first. I know you're always propping everyone else up. Um, it should be recognized, though, that you are a rock star as well. And, you know, a, a good company has a good leader and a, and a good company has a good boss. And uh, and so, you know, you know how to promote your guys and you know how to, uh, you know, get them comfortable working with you, getting to know them. I mean, that's all the important stuff. And uh, and I, I Richie, I appreciate you, man. What a what a great couple hour and 20 minutes already today. Um, oh my God! That long? <laughs> yeah, no, but it goes quick, man. Like it does, and I, I think there was a lot of good takeaways from this conversation today. And you and I could talk for hours. Are you kidding me? I wrote down like something I want to come back to, and I think I want to do just an episode with you alone on terminology. You said heel gangway, okay. five gallon hand pump, quick water. I love the regional sayings or the regional terms for for different things that we all do, but we all call it something different. And yes. um, I think that'll be a fun episode to do too. Is just locking I, I in would, guys from all over, you know, and talk I'd about. I love to do that. Yeah, I love you there, but I have one caveat. I'm what? flying to you, or you're flying to me. Hell yeah, we're doing it at the bar with a bourbon. Yeah, we're, listen, we're, I'm coming to Chicago. I love Ch Chicago. <laughs> Chicago is, I think, one of my favorite cities um, that I've ever been to. I've been to Chicago a couple times, and I truly love the city itself. Um, so I will take you up on that and we will get together soon for sure. You're going to um, you're gonna have to let Rob come. I, mean, I will. Rob may be upset if you don't invite him. No, he's coming. You kidding me? I, uh, <laughs> I don't travel alone. Not often at least, but, um, right. you, need, you need a handler. You need a handler. Uh, it, me and you both, my man, yeah. <laughs> me and you and I together without a handler is not a good, well, it'd be a lot of fun. A lot of stories would come from it, but yeah. brother, I appreciate you. Um, Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. And like I said, I'm going to get you back because there's so much more I want to talk about with you. But we got to wrap this because people start falling asleep after an hour and a half. You know what I mean? I believe it. They probably <laughs> didn't want to hear my, me talking. It's like, get this guy off. No, thank you, truly. Um, what you guys are doing, National Fire Radio, was awesome with the podcast. You honored me, asked me to be here. And there's probably a thousand other people should be here before me. Ah, um, come on. Some of the people I mentioned, I even forgot to mention my cousin, Danny Brack. I mean, there's so many people. Yeah. Thank you to all them for allowing me. To be here and thank you to you for allowing me to sit here and talk with you and 100%. it's truly my honor and thank you well brother you are a friend and uh and a brother and i i appreciate you more than any than ever and uh i look forward to seeing you soon and you know it was nice to just sit and, and chat and uh you know thank you for sharing some serious stories with us today and you know i think that people are going to get value out of your experiences and you know as much as you Reach out to the guys that are working with you and your companies and other guys that you're teaching at the Institute and all of that and, and with On Scene and all the other training groups you're affiliated with and what you do. You're making an impact and spreading the word, but you're also doing that here on the podcast today, too. And you're going to reach somebody with your message today, especially about your close call that you had back in 2014. And I think that matters. And I appreciate you sharing that story today. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Cool. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here. I'm just going to sign off the podcast and I'm going to come right back to you. Okay. You got it.
Cool. Thank you, everyone. That was Lieutenant Rich Stack out of the Chicago Fire Department. 22 years with Chicago, 28 years in the fire service. He teaches all over the country. He'll be at FDIC this year. Uh, check him out. Find him. Talk to him. This guy is somebody that you'll absolutely just want to pick up, put in your pocket, and keep him with you. He's an amazing man, and I call him a friend and a brother. So thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this podcast today. Take this podcast, take it back to the firehouse and talk about it. Cause when we talk about the job, we are making this job better. Send us an email podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear some feedback about these episodes and our guests. And if you have questions, concerns, or thoughts, we want to know them. And again, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy national fire radio. 